All righty. Good morning, Ridgepoint Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Man, I love this. There's been so much energy in both services all morning long. Uh, some people saw me outside in between services, and I was so pumped up after first service. And sometimes it takes them a little while to wake up in the first service. But they're ready to go. We're ready to go this morning. We're really glad that you're here as we are in week two of the Creed series. A couple things we've got to take care of first. It's an exciting time uh, here at Ridgepoint Church. We've been mentioning some things tonight. We have child dedication. We have some babies being dedicated tonight. Really excited about that. Night of worship, you'll hear about that at the end of the service. Uh, really excited about that. We have some men that are in a group called Fight Club that are almost halfway through their journey. Uh, keep praying for them. They're getting near the part where it kind of is a grind to get through. Uh, so really just some cool things that are taking place. And right in the midst of that, we have this Creed series, and, or the Creed series. And we're going to talk about what that is all about in just a second. But if, if you have a smartphone, we went over this last week, but just make sure everyone's aware of this. We think that this is a crucial series for people who are trying to be followers of Jesus to learn more about him and, and to learn more about theology in general. And so if you have a smartphone, go ahead and take it out real quick. If you have the Bible app, the YouVersion app, in the YouVersion app, if you look down the bottom right in the iOS app at least, in the bottom right there's this thing that says more, and there are live events. We've created a live event, and here's how this is useful for all of us. First of all, this morning during church, all the scripture we're using is right in, in this. So if you go to live under Ridgepoint Church under the Creed week two, all the scripture, the Apostles' Creed, all of that is in there. But even more, you can write notes and everything right there on the app. But even cooler than that is that starting tomorrow, we went through a couple of weeks ago, knowing each of the series content of what we're talking about, we developed a Bible reading plan that goes along with it. Now, the Bible reading plan does not appear now. That will show up starting tomorrow. And throughout the week, we switched a little bit. There's a Bible reading plan. It's a short scripture we want you to read to go along with this series. But we've also developed some questions to go along with it. Just kind of think about as you're reading. So we really want to be able to give you tools to help you in this journey as we walk through the creed. Uh, so if you haven't had time to do that, again, you can use it during the service. That's cool. But even more important, use it throughout the week. It's a great way to supplement what we're talking about in the creed. As we kick off this morning, uh, we have confession time. Some people say confession is good for the soul. And so uh, sometimes we ask questions and we want you to be honest about those questions. And because I ask you to be honest about some things today, I have to get something off my chest. I've got to be honest about something. I am a little bit of a sports nerd. It's good to get that off my chest. I had to be honest with everyone. Uh, here's the deal. Here's how big a sports nerd that I am. Uh, back when I was five years old, back in 1980, yes, I'm kind of getting old, but when I was five years old in 1980, I was a big baseball fan. I could still name you now, 35 years later, the starting lineup for the 1980 Philadelphia Phillies, the world champion Philadelphia Phillies that year. That was my team. I, I, I love sports, and the things I love about sports, I love the competition. I love the, the pageantry. I love the rivalries, the story traditions. But I, in particular, I love stories. In fact, I was thinking about it this week as I was thinking about how much I love sports. And, and there are two storylines happening in sports right now. And in just a second, I'm going to say two names. One is the name of a team, and one is the name of, of an individual player. And I said, I'm venturing to guess that there's only a handful of people in, in both services combined that are going to know both of these names. Some are going to know one pretty well. Others might know the other. Only a handful of people know, know both. And in fact, I substantiated that in the first service. Only one person knew both the names. But, but here are the names. One, one a team name, one a person's name. The person's name is Jonathan Druan. And the team name is Leicester City. Jonathan Druan and Leicester City. Who knows at least one of those names? <laughs> only a handful of people even know one. Who, and so who knows both those names? 
Okay, <laughs> David knows because he was here first service. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, you know, only one person. And, and here's the thing, like I love stories. And both of those are kind of small stories. One is actually a player for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And one is a soccer team over in England that just won against staggering odds. 4,001 odds. They won the English Premier League this year. Really, really cool stories. But I love stories and I love sports. And in fact, when I was younger, growing up, I thought sports was going to be what I was going to do with the rest of my life. When I was a lot younger, I, I thought I was going to play baseball. I was going to be a major league baseball player. And then reality set in. I said, okay, maybe that wasn't what I was supposed to do. And so I said, I want to still be involved in sports in some way. And so I started to, to major in journalism with the focus on sports journalism because I thought that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. When I was 19 years old, I was able to realize two of my, what I thought were going to be my lifelong dreams. Number one, I got accepted and started at the University of Florida. Go Gators, Go Gators that's right. <laughs> And number two, I was majoring in journalism, working for a local paper covering sports. And even though I was in the midst of living out what I thought were two of my lifelong dreams, I found myself miserable. Now, not in the sense of, of being miserable that I was down and depressed all the time, but I just thought, man, this is where I'm going to find my satisfaction. This is, where I, like, this is what I always dreamt of. Like from the time I was five years old, I was rooting for the Philadelphia Phillies and dreaming of going to the University of Florida. And here I was there. And I wasn't really satisfied. Like that longing I thought was going to be fulfilled wasn't being fulfilled. A couple of years earlier, I'd become a follower of Jesus. I started to go to church, and I was being discipled by some people at my home church in St. Pete. And then I went to Gainesville, and I saw some people help me out there. And I was starting to grow a little bit. And I realized that about halfway through my first year at University of Florida, I was having this wrestling match with God. So I was learning this simple principle. That if we listen, God's voice isn't always loud, but it's ever-present. And that's true for every one of us. It doesn't matter how long we've been following Jesus or how deep we think we are in our understanding of who he is. God's voice, if we're listening for it, God's voice isn't always loud, but it's ever-present. And it wasn't a burning bush moment. It wasn't this big, huge, loud way that God communicated with me. But it's through a series of, of events and a series of people and a series of messages that I was wrestling with God and what that meant. And I heard a couple of messages about discovering what God's will was for my life. And I didn't really know what that meant for me. I thought I wanted to be a journalist, but I'm not really finding satisfaction doing this. So I started having this two-month-long battle with God, this wrestling match with God, starting to hear more and more the voice of God in my life. And it was a series of messages and people speaking truth in my life. And eventually it was a cassette tape. Now, for those who are younger than about 25 years old, they used to have this thing about this big, and they put music on it, and, and before podcasts were cool, that's how you listen to sermons right there. Uh, so I had this, a uh, guy was preaching at my home church, and I bought a tape, and I went, home, went back to my uh, dorm, and I started listening to that at University of Florida, and God started speaking into my life, saying, I want you to do something more than what you're currently doing. I wrestled with that. Until I finally surrendered, I said, God, I don't even know what that means. And my surrender was, I felt like God was leading me in some sort of ministry. I didn't know if that meant uh, some Christian ministry outside of the church, inside the church, pastoral ministry. I didn't know what that meant. But as I started to wrestle with it, I said, God, here's what I don't understand. First of all, I took a speech class in college, and I hated it. Speaking in front of five people freaked me out. So I said, physically, God, there's no way in the world I could be the one that could do this. There has to be somebody better. But spiritually speaking, the wrestling match was much more severe. I didn't grow up going to church a whole lot. I didn't know a whole lot of the Bible. I didn't, I didn't have that background. 
And so I look at people, and I'm like, they obviously know it's much, much more than I do. And they just have something. They have something hidden in their toolbox that I don't have, and they can figure this stuff out. And I can't. And I started making excuse after excuse after excuse. A short time later, I finally surrender, and, and I end up going to a Christian college, which ironically, a couple years later, I graduate with a degree in Bible. And after that, God opens up the door for me to go on and get my master's degree, and I graduate with a master's degree in biblical studies. And five years removed from saying, God, there's no way physically I could do this. I don't know enough for the Bible. I sit there five years removed from that, having a master's degree in the very thing I thought there's no way I could ever even be able to study on my own. I can't figure that stuff out for myself. And I say that as an encouragement, as we kind of get more into this series, that for a lot of us, we sit there, and, and I don't know everyone's story here. Maybe you grew up going to church, and you have some Bible background. But for a lot of us, we don't have that background. Or even if we went to church, we didn't glean a whole lot when we were younger. And so we sit there, and we start talking about deeper theological topics. And we say, well, I can't, I can't grasp this. This is too much for me. And I understand where that would be coming from. But I'm here to tell you today, you can and you will. Because the second thing I learned as I was having that wrestling match with God, is that I believe most of us are here this morning because we want to have some sort of victory in our life. And we believe the only way we can have that and establish that victory is for God to be the one that brings victory in our life. And if we're going to achieve that victory in God, the only way we'll achieve that victory is by knowing God. And if I believe God wants me to have victory and victory is found in Him, then it only makes sense that you and I can actually dig deeper. You and I have the mental and spiritual capability to dig deeper and to understand more about God than we know now. And so the creed is designed to do that. The creed is designed for us to look at some big topics and to figure out what is it, if we really go to church, what is it that we really believe about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit? What do we believe about the church? What do we believe about forgiveness of sins? What do we believe about heaven and hell and, and angels and demons and all those things? They sound like really big topics. And am I going to be able to grasp all that? And I'm telling you, you are. So last week we said that the creed that we're using as the basis, we're preaching through the Bible, but the creed that we're using as the basis for the series is what's called the Apostles' Creed. And last week we had a chance to read it. We're going to read it again now. I'll read it out loud. You can read it silently. I'm prepping you now. At some point in the series, we're all going to read this thing aloud. So start to get this thing down. But here's the thing. Here's the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's what we're talking about. Those two lines is what we're talking about today. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, or we said last week the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So what happened was, in the Roman Empire, as Christianity started to spread, and people grasped onto Okay, we want to be Christians, but what does that mean? They said, we want to come up with a creed, which is actually a similar creed, a little bit different than the Nicene Creed. But they said, we want to have a system of, of, of doctrine that people can understand. They say, if, we, if people have a question, what is it that you believe? Here it is. And so we came up with these creeds as a way, in a very short, systematized way to say, here it is. Here's what we believe as followers of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to be getting there in a second. 
But the creed begins with a statement about God the Father. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and of earth. And so today as we start to talk about this topic of what we believe about God the Father, realize that we believe in a triune God. We believe in the Trinity. That God exists in three eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But there's, there's one essence to all three of those. There's one God in three different persons. And so today we're going to focus on God the Father. Next week we'll focus on God the Son, Jesus. And the third week we'll focus on God the Holy Spirit. Last week I mentioned this. The scripture we looked at last week talked about this idea of sound doctrine. To give us a base for where we're going to be going throughout this whole series, sound doctrine is equivalent to uh, what we believe about our theology. Uh, sometimes we hear that word theology and it scares us a little bit and our eyes glass over. We think we can't understand that. But here's the deal. The word theology is actually made up of two Greek words. And those two Greek words are theos and logos. Now those two words together, if you look at theology, the theos is on the left side, the logos is on the right side. Those two words literally mean God's word. Or if we put them together, the very study of God. So when we talk about theology in general, this whole series is built on theology. It's talking about the theology of the church, theology of Jesus, theology of the Holy Spirit. And there's big, huge terms that theologians use that we're not going to use necessarily. But there's big, huge terms theologians use to describe all of this. But as they talk about it, theology is all that stuff together. So we talk about theology in general. Theology in general is our entire systematic belief about God. Everything we know about God, everything we know about the church, everything we know about eternity, all that stuff fits into what we believe about theology. However, because theology is the study of God, there's a second definition for theology, or what we call theology proper. Theology proper is what we believe about God the Father himself. So it's not about theology, it's a general topic, but it's also the very specific topic of what we're talking about today. So we're talking about God the Father, and we sing songs that kind of lean into that, especially the last song I'm going to sing this morning is a really powerful song that sings into who God is, the God the Father is in our life. And as we sing songs, as we think about who God the Father is, there is a lot we could talk about. In fact, I was doing some quick math in my head earlier this morning, and I think that if we talk about some of the topics that we want to talk about as it relates to God the Father, we could literally have sermon after sermon to get us through the end of this year. We could talk about some of the attributes of God. The words that are used about God, that God is omnipotent. That means God is all-powerful. He's really powerful. God is omniscient. That means God is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're doing. He knows everything about. He keeps it all together. God, all, God is also omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. So we have these big words, God's all-powerful, God's all-knowing, God's all-places. That's part of the attributes of God. We could talk about the names of God. Throughout the Bible, we see different names that lean into God's character. Names like Adonai and Elohim. Name like Jehovah, and Jehovah has various derivations of it. Jehovah Sabaoth and Jehovah Nisi. And all these names mean different things about God. We could also just lean into his, his character. And when I think about God the Father, I think about the relationship that we have. And I read stories in the Bible like the prodigal son. How the Father in that story relates so well to the role that God plays in our life. I think about God being a God who is very patient. The Bible word is long-suffering. He's very patient. We know about the Father, He's a good Father. We know that He's loving, that He's just, that He's fair. And we know above all else, perhaps His most extreme and most important character, 
portrayed as his holiness. We don't have time to talk about all those things. But God's holiness probably defines as the all-encompassing umbrella of everything that God is. When he's holy, what does that mean? It means God is simply other. He's different. He's not like us. He's pure. He's perfect. Not only does he not do any wrong, but even the very purpose behind what he does isn't wrong. How many would know the name? There's an artist by the name of David Crowder. Who knows who David Crowder is? David Crowder has a song. And in it, he describes God as the antonym of me, your divinity. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, that's, that's it. That's the definition of what holiness is. Holiness is the antonym of everything that, that we do because we as, as fallen human beings, we make mistakes. And we know that we make mistakes and we have a natural tendency to want to make those mistakes. For God that is so outside of who he is that he can't make those mistakes. So Crowder defines him, one of the most cerebral people I've ever uh, seen in music. He defines me. He says, man, he is the antonym of me. He's God. He's divinity. And so we hear these ideas. We talk about these different things. And, and we just don't have time in the context of this series to talk about those things. But as we discover who God is, part of it is knowing all of those things about God. But this morning, I want to talk about two things, two ideas that seem in contrast to each other. But when we put them together, makes a complete picture. And so if you're one who's taking notes, I want you to write down two things. God is two things. Number one, God first. We're going to talk about God's immensity. God is immense. He's powerful. But God is also, the second thing, God is also personal. And those two things seem in contrast because first, we're going to focus on God's immensity. If you have your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah here is actually giving this, this, this great treatise, this great teaching on the heading in my Bible says it's the greatness of God. And we could take time, again, we don't have time to do this this morning, we could take time right now to read from Isaiah 40 verse 9 all the way down through 26. And there's so much depth looking at the greatness of who God is. But I want to look at just three of those verses this morning because we have a lot to talk about just in those three verses. The first verse we want to look at is verse 10. Verse 10, it says this, Behold, the Lord God comes with might. Because God is immense, he is also incredibly powerful. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Skip verse 11. We'll get back to that in just a second. But verse 12 then says this, and we're going to spend a lot of time on verse 12. Verse 12 says this, Who has measured the waters... In the hollow of his hand. It begins by talking about the measure of the waters in the hollow of his hand. And commentators say that what is referring to here when it talks about the waters, what's being defined here, that is measured, if God were to close his hand, all the waters that's mentioned are the waters that fit inside of his hand. And the commentators say what it is referring to here is any water that is either under earth, in the earth, or on top of the earth in our atmosphere. Any water that we have here on earth could be held in the hollow of God's closest hand. All of the water could be held in the hollow of his hands. All the water that, that helps us survive and all the water that helps us live. And that's a, that's a lot of water. All the, all the rivers and all the lakes and all the oceans. And, and every water that we have on earth is held in the hollow of his hand. The U.S. Geological Society did a study of exactly how much water that entails. How much water do we know of right now that's under the earth and, and in the earth and on top of the earth? 
And they measured, I don't know how they measured that, but they measured it and say, we believe that it is 332 million cubic miles of water. It's a lot of water. 332 million cubic miles of water. If you want to know what that looks like, it looks like a, a bunch of water. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a lot of water. Like, like that's, that's 332 million cubic miles of water. The Bible says about the Father, He holds that in the hollow of His hand. Our God is an insanely immense God. The next description it says, and marked off heavens with the span. We're going to spend a lot of time on that. We'll get back to that in a second. It says, enclose the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales. This is how big he is. Those giant mountains, those are just, I just put them on scales. It's not a big deal. And the hills in a balance, it isn't a big deal. But right in the middle, it says, he marked off heavens with a span. If we just think about earth, if we just think about the immensity of, of, of even the area that we live, Polk County is a pretty big county. Here's the thing. In the midst of that, when it says he marks off heaven with a span, in the Old Testament, a span was considered to be the amount of length between a person, if he spread out his hand, the amount of, of length between a person's, the end of his thumb and the end of his middle finger. So what it says, that he marks off heaven with a span. He marks off the heavens with a span. He's saying that God holds all of the heavens, all that we know, within the span of his hand, between his middle finger and his thumb. So if we are just looking at it in our context and say, well, Polk County, it's a pretty big county. But in comparison to all of Florida, it's kind of small. And Florida's a big state until we look at the country, and then it's kind of small. And the country's uh, a small part of North America, and North America's a small part of the world. And then we look at the earth. And I say, but the earth. The earth is pretty big. Look at this picture. This is the earth. The picture was taken from, from space. That's massive. That's huge. In fact, I did some research. And the earth, if we were just to measure the radius of the earth, which is half the, the diameter, half the width of the earth, the radius of the earth is, is just under 4,000 miles. So if you and I were to be able to develop a machine that would dig straight down into the core of the earth, right to the middle of the earth, it would take 4,000 miles for us to get there. Another 4,000 come out the other side. It's pretty big. If we look at the surface area, the amount of surface area there is on the earth the amount of surface area is 196 million square miles it makes Polk County really really small in comparison to the rest of the square mileage of, of the surface area of the earth and so I look at the earth and I say man the earth now that's huge until I compare the earth to the sun it looks something like that that tiny dot that's earth in comparison to the sun Whereas the, the radius of the earth seemed like a lot at 4,000 miles, the radius of the sun is 432,000 miles. Much, much larger. And we want to measure the surface area of the sun that's, that's huge. And so we look at the, the earth and we say the earth seems huge until I look at the sun. And the sun is, is really, really huge. And in our solar system it is. But if we compare that to stars in other solar systems, there are some of those stars that dwarf the sun in the same way the, the sun dwarfs the earth. And so we look at that and say, man, space and all this stuff is really, really big. In fact, it's so big that in 1990, there was, we, we, we sent a ship up in a space called Voyager 1. And Voyager 1 was sent to get pictures 
of outer space. You get different pictures, and they send out with, with no hopes of it ever returning. But after it got three million miles into space, three million miles, someone got an idea, said, hey, let's turn that camera back around and try to take one more picture of Earth. And here's a picture of Earth from three million miles away. And they blew up this picture, and that tiny dot actually became a famous photograph called, uh, I think it's Thin Blue Dot, or Pale Blue Dot, became famous as being a picture of the Earth from three million miles away. And all of a sudden, that which to me and you seemed so huge was really, really small. In fact, in our galaxy, all we're talking about today is our galaxy. In our galaxy, in the Milky Way, here's a picture of the Milky Way. And that's us. The Milky Way, by measurement, is 925, as best they can figure it out, 925 quadrillion miles long. Huge. I don't even mention all the other galaxies, just the Milky Way. And this can do one of two things. It can either make us feel really, really small. Because I look at that and I'm like, man, I can't even see our giant planet in that picture. And I'm just a small dot on this giant planet. Like I'd either feel really, really small or come to the realization that God is really, really immense. He's huge. Because all that, the 925 million or quadrillion miles, says he measures the space or the heavens with the span of his hand. That's how big God is. So why is that a big deal? Like, like, why do we have to know this about God? Like, I think I, as a child, I kind of understood that. Why do all these numbers even matter? Because I know that God is in control of all those things. Like, none of this happens without his allowing it and his, his running it as it happens. So we believe about God that he's an immense God and that he's really, really powerful to take care of all those things. But the flip side of it, and this is where some people miss the boat, because there are some people who they define their theology, because every one of us has a theology. Even if we say we don't believe in God, that is our theology. And for some people, their understanding of, of theology is that, well, God kind of winds everything up. He's like a giant watchmaker, and he winds the watch up, or he winds the clock up, and then he lets it go, and whatever happens, happens. The problem with that is twofold. Number one, Scripture doesn't bear any witness to a God who winds everything up and lets it go. In fact, the Bible that I read says God is intimately involved in the affairs of his children. He knows everything about us. He even knows the hair, the numbers of the hairs of our head. Which, judging from some of the guys outside, it wouldn't take a lot, a lot of time to count. I'm just saying, we had a group out there that was signing their heads up or something. I don't know. But God knows the numbers of the hairs of our heads. He knows everything that, that is taking place in our life. We'll finish up with this and I'll get into that topic. Down in verse 15 says this, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as a dust on the scales. Now here's the thing. It says the nations, all the nations of, of our earth are nothing but dust on a scale. Now I don't know about you, but we have those days where we know that we eat too much. And so you go to the scale and we're kind of dreading stepping on the scale and seeing what the numbers say. And so we walk over to our scale and we step on it and we see the numbers and we say, that cannot be right. Hold on a second. Step off. Let me, let me knock the dust off. 
because I think the dust is going to have some bearing on how much I weigh. We say, no, that's ridiculous. The dust isn't going to matter. But, but the Bible says this is how the nations are. They're a drop in the bucket to God. They're like dust in the, on the scales. They're so small, and he is so large. Later on, it actually talks about how much supreme God is over all the rulers and all the political figures. God is over all of that. So we trust in a God that is immensely con- in control of all the situations, but is also immensely and intimately involved in our life. Because God is powerful while personal. Don't turn there, but I want to read something real quick. Because in, in, in verse 11, it says this. Right in the midst of talking about how great God is. In verse 11, it says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God is immense, but he's also immensely involved in our lives. In a very intimate way. You don't have to turn there, but I want to read one more section of Scripture. In Psalm 139, this is a little, in a little bit different translation, but in Psalm 139, just some of the verses that I want to read to discover more about this personal nature of who God is. It says this about God. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts beforehand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, God, you know what I'm thinking. Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. This is how intimately God knows us. He knows us inside and out. He knows every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were prepared, were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. How personal is God? Before we were formed, He knew us. He knew everything about us. He cared about us. He watched us grow from conception to birth. The days of my life have all been prepared by him beforehand. Before I'd even lived one day, he knew my life story. Why? Because God is intimately involved in the lives of his kids. And what comfort that gives us. See, one of the names that's used for God in the New Testament is the word Abba. And maybe you've heard that word before and we hear like prayers like our Father. And the, the word there that's used is And it's not just like a formal name for God. It's not, hey, here's a formal name like Father would be for some of us. But it literally is more of an affectionate term, much similar to our word Daddy. So when we talk to God as our Father, He is powerful and there's reverence that's due to Him. But we also talk to Him as as our Daddy. And I know for some of you, you grew up with a loving Father, and, and, and when you say Daddy, it has an affectionate name. And for others, maybe you didn't have a great relationship with your dad. God comes as that perfect father, that powerful father, but that affectionate daddy that cares about us. He loves us. As I think through, as I look at God, I believe that you're immense, but I also believe that you're immensely personal. As I look at that, I see that God is long-suffering, and I see that he's there for us. And the thing that I love, and kind of our big idea this morning, is that the God who holds it all together 
holds me together. Like the stuff that you're going through right now, when it seems like life is starting to unravel, and it seems like life is starting to fall apart, and it seems like, man, I just want to throw my hands up in the air and give up because I don't understand all of it. You don't have to understand all of it. Our response is to say, I know this about the character of God. I know that even when it seems like things are unraveling, he is entirely in control. And as long as he's entirely in control, and I know that he controls all things, that he who holds it all together is also the one that cares about me and loves me enough that he holds me together. And so it feels like I'm unraveling even more so. I have to learn to trust in the God who says, J.J., I have it all together. You see, there's part of my story, I don't even know if I've ever shared this part of my story publicly until the first service this morning at least. When I started to have this wrestling match with God, and eventually my wife and I were engaged at that point, we were uh, getting ready for marriage, and we had those conversations ourselves, and we started figuring out what that looked like. Eventually I went on, and I was, I was working on getting my, my Bible degree, and, and I was being able to hang out with some people who really kind of helped sharpen me, including our former pastor who was really a friend at that point, and, and, and we're, we're hanging out, doing discipleship stuff together, and really starting to grow together. And, and then right in the middle of that, out of the blue, I get a phone call one day. It was a pastor of a church in Pinellas Park, Florida. He calls me up and he says, hey, JJ, your name has come up. We're looking for a youth pastor. Would you consider putting your resume in? My first thought was, how do you even know who I am? Like, that's kind of weird to me. And the second thing was, I'm sure there has to be someone who's much more qualified. I had another little small wrestling match with God, and God, once again, he won as he is prone to do. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to submit my resume because there's going to be some other people who are more qualified who are going to do a better job than I could ever do at this. Because part of my story at that point was I was going to a really, really small church. And we're really involved. Beth and I are really involved. We're married by that point. We're really, really involved. And it was a really small church. We just had a handful, five, six, seven students who were coming to youth group. And, and we're involved in different facets of the church. But it was a really small church. And, and it was going to stay that way just because of what they're trying to do. It was going to stay that way. And for me, it was really comfortable. And so I was, I was content to be there. And I get this phone call and this pastor calls. And I said, well, okay, God, I'll submit my resume. That's as far as it'll go. He calls me up and he interviews me. Let's go to lunch. He, we had lunch. We interviewed and, and eventually said, okay, I want you to come to church on a couple of Sundays. And when you get done preaching, here's what we're going to do is the whole church is going to vote on whether or not to call you as our youth pastor. I told Josh in the first service, aren't you glad I didn't make him do that? Because <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. And, and I got up there and, and I remember... Part of the story that I haven't shared, I don't think, is I was, I was driving down Park Boulevard in Pinellas Park, and I'd known, I was familiar with the church for a while, but I'd never been inside that church before. And I knew the church had a giant steeple that like kind of sticks out down Park Boulevard. You can see it for probably half a mile away, you start seeing that steeple. And as I'm driving down Park Boulevard for the first time, knowing I'm going to this church to candidate as their youth pastor, I literally felt like the steeple of that church was like sticking me in the gut at that point. Like, I felt sick, I was nervous, my job was on the line, and I really didn't want to leave where I was comfortable. So you walk into church, and they get up, and they play some music, and do the announcements, and play some more music. And I was sitting right on the front row, the first chair, right next to Denise there. And, and, and not, she wasn't actually there at the church, but, <laughs> but in proximity to where we're at right now. And, and so I'm sitting there, and the pastor introduces me. He's okay, here's what's going to happen. JJ's going to preach, and... And when he's done, we're going to send him out to the office. He's going to hide away, and we're going to vote on whether or not to call him as our youth pastor. I remember, like, thinking as I stood up, they introduced me, and I start walking up to the stage. And, and, and I, I was so nervous. Like, I didn't want to do this. I wanted to run out the back door as fast as I could. 
But God was in control. He said, JJ, I, I hold space in the span of my hand. I got this. So I turned over and said, oh, God, like, I don't, I'm really nervous. I'm, I hate speaking in front of people. This isn't for me. But God, if you want this, I believe you got this. And something happened miraculously between the, the pew of the church that I was at. I was about to say chair. They didn't have chairs back then. Uh, but the pew and, and walking up to the, to the stage where the nervousness was gone. There's still a small amount of nervousness, but the nervousness was gone. It was replaced by a quiet confidence knowing that God has my back. As we start to discover who God is, like I know every one of us, if, if we can go through and start to name, hey, here's the stuff that we're combating. Here's the stuff in our family that we're dealing with. Here are things that I, the, the temptation that I can't beat. Here's a victory that I cannot achieve. For every one of us, we have that thing that we're still dealing with. God's telling us right now, you know, I have everything else under control. I have that under control too. Trust in me. Rest in me. I got this. Let's pray. Father, this morning we absolutely thank you for how you have control of our life. God, I thank you that we can look out tonight. Look out into space and to see the stars and to see the planets and and know that you are in control of all of that. Because you formed all of that. But God, I thank you even more so. That as much as you're in control of all that, you're in control of my life. God, that we can really, really trust you. For the person this morning, God, who's, who's never trusted you enough to have that wrestling match with you and truly surrender to realize the only way we can really have relationship with you is through the sacrifice that Jesus made on a cross for us. God, for the person this morning who has not begun that relationship, I pray that now they'd seek one of us out, find us, ask questions, and get to a spot of, of surrendering their life to you and calling on that gift of Jesus for their lives. For those who do have a relationship, I pray that we have a desire within us to deepen that relationship to know more of you, and as we know more about you, to achieve more victory in our life, because victory is ultimately found in how much we discover and know who you are. God, help us as a group of people to dig deeper, to know you and to love you more, and to spread that knowledge and that love with the world around us. God, make a difference in our life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.